Let's pray in that powerful name. Heavenly Father, we come just in awe of your goodness and your mercy and your love. God, we're so grateful that you don't give us what we deserve. That even though we live in rebellion and rejection of you as our Lord and King, that you continue to pursue, you continue to love, you continue to reach out, and that you make those who were formerly your enemies your children. God, we pray that as we reflect upon the gift of your Son, yet one more time here this morning, that you would speak uh, a new word to us, uh, a new word in terms of our understanding, our perspective, our relationship with you, Lord. Help us to to leave here different than when we came in. Help us to leave here with a renewed commitment and desire to follow you, pursue you in all that we are. We are so grateful for so much, especially for your son, Jesus. It's in his powerful name we pray. Amen. So we're dealing with the issue of God with us. What does that mean? We say Emmanuel, God with us. What does that look like? How does that play out? What what does it mean that Jesus is God with us? And we started by looking at the fact that he is the timeless one. He's the eternal one. That even before the foundation of the earth, before anything existed, Jesus had you on his mind. And that he, through the Father, had a plan to come to live amongst us, to respond to our deepest need, the need of separation from him, the the need of, of walking a life, living a life that was not all it was intended to be in our creation. And so he came, he dwelled among us, he lived among us, and and because of that, we have a God and we have a Savior, we have a King who understands what we're going through, who we are and what we're dealing with. And there's power in that, to to have somebody with us, somebody who's walking beside us, someone who's encouraging us, who's directing us into the future, who, being timeless, already knows what lay in the future. And so he's guiding us through that. There's power in that. There's freedom in that. There's joy in that. But that's not all that the idea of God with us means. When we think about Jesus, we certainly think of his deity. We think of that immortal reality, but his humanity is important as well. As we read from Hebrews just a few moments ago, the fact that he came and dwelled among us helps us to understand that that we know we have a God who has been tempted just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so we can walk in that power. We can walk in that knowledge that he's beside us, knowing exactly what we're going through. And when we look at Christmas, When we think of Christmas, we think of the manger scene. And we think of that circumstance and that situation. God himself, as a baby, lying in a manger. And as we sing the Christmas carols, we we, we talk a lot about the various aspects of Christmas and what that means. And we talk about him being the king. And yet, 
when you think about Jesus as the king, the manger doesn't fit. It, it doesn't make sense. He's the king of Israel. He's the promised one. He's the Messiah, the one that prophets foretold, the one that that is inherent in God's promises to Abraham that, that through uh, his seed he would save the world, the, the promise to, to David that there would forever be someone on, the, on his throne ruling and reigning. How does one go from such promises and such grandeur and, and the throne of David and the, and the kingship and, and all the royalty and all the stuff we think of with Solomon and all of that grandeur to a manger? How does one get from there to that? To a baby laid in a feeding trough surrounded by animals. Surrounded by shepherds and clean ones. How, do, how does one get from there to, to there? Well, today we're going to look at a passage that's really at the heart of our topic of Emmanuel, God with us, that also answers that question, that answers the, the issue of the relationship. But for us to, to really deal with this passage here in Isaiah 7, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and turn there, if you would, in your Bibles. First thing we need to do is we, we need to understand the nature of prophecy. Because a lot of times when we think about prophecy, when someone mentions the, the word prophecy, we think history beforehand, told beforehand, history carried out, okay, that you have this prophet, and they're sitting there, and God gives them this vision of something that's going to happen well in the future, and they tell what that vision is, and then later on sometime in the future, that vision comes to be, and that's what we think of in terms of prophecy, and, and that, that's true. There's nothing inaccurate about that statement when you're talking about true prophecy, okay, but there's more to prophecy than that. Let, let me give you an, an illustration of a, really an unrelated thing, but I think it, it kind of portrays the truth of what prophecy really involves. I had the, the privilege, the joy, and continue to enjoy it, of growing up in two homes within which dwelt some amazing cooks. Okay, My mom, amazing cook. Man, she'd cook anything, anytime, anywhere, and I'd eat it. It was good. My wife, even better than my mom, okay? And she's not here, so I can say that. There's not even any pressure to say that, but I'm going to say it because it's true. My wife is an amazing cook. But they have two very different philosophies about that and how it plays out and what it does. But in reality, it's the same kind of approach, and that is neither one of them followed recipes, okay? You, you all know you got a recipe book, right? And when it's time to cook something, you get out your recipe book, and you got your list of ingredients, and it says you do this, you do this. I can do that, okay? But I'm not a very good cook, okay? But my mom and my wife, okay, they always did something different than the recipe. Now, my mom, her philosophy was, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to do it, and you're just going to love it, okay? Uh, I'm just going to throw some stuff in here, and like this, and it's going to be good. My wife... She takes meticulous notes. Okay, add just a pinch of this or just a little bit of this. Just It's very different. Okay, But the philosophy is essentially the same. What? You have your recipe. This is how it's supposed to play out. But I'm going to add in things that's going to make it bigger and better and greater than anything you could, 
get off of that list of ingredients. And that's how they cook. And I have enjoyed the harvest of that my entire life. Okay. So uh, that, that, that's, that's the great reality. Well, in many ways, that's what prophecy is. Prophecy is not just, okay, here's a list of things that need to happen, and then here's a list of it happening. Okay, it's not just this God going through and saying, yep, check, got that taken care of. Yep, check, got that taken care of. No, prophecy is God reaching in and engaging history and saying, this is what I talked about here in this situation, in this situation, in this circumstance. I'm going to add in some things that you didn't see coming. And I'm going to mix some things in here that make what I said and what I expressed much bigger than you could have imagined, much bigger than you would have hoped for. You see the statement and the carrying out, but there's a lot more involved there than just that one-to-one relationship. Prophecy is not just history written in advance. It is a revelation of truth from God. And it is an expression that, that has immediate consequences when it's originally stated, but then has continued, re- continued relevance, continued uh, impact until it reaches its fullness. And its fullness is always in Jesus. And Jesus is always bigger, always bigger than what was originally expressed. And we see that in our passage today. Our passage is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. It's a passage that includes uh, a verse that we we almost always quote uh, this time of year. We almost always come to your Christmas cards. Many of your Christmas cards will have this. Uh, we'll have verse 14 on it. Behold, a virgin shall conceive uh, and bring forth uh, a child uh, and have a son, and we'll name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But what is the heart of that message? And how does that relate to Jesus being born in a manger? How does that, how does that relate to Jesus being a king and yet born in a stable? How does that relate to all of the truths that God wanted to express and communicate in terms of Christ's coming. Well, in order to understand that, you have to understand the context of the original statement. You have to understand why it was originally said and what was going on there. And so, a little bit of a history lesson. I know history, you, you say the word and people's eyes just go, oh, history, really? Okay. But just a little bit of a history lesson. And I think I think when you, when you hear this, it's going to, help you kind of understand a little bit more of what's going on in Isaiah and ultimately what's going on in Jesus' coming in the Gospels. So the year is about 725 B.C., somewhere right around there. And Israel and Judah are, are two separate kingdoms at this point. Okay, Originally they had been one kingdom under Saul and David and Solomon, but after the death of Solomon they broke into two groups, Israel and Judah. Okay. And there was really no major power in the world at this time. There was, there was nobody who, who was there to kind of say, oh, you're getting a little too big, I'm, I'm going to stop your growth now, or I'm going to conquer you, or I'm going to defeat you. There was no major empire. Egypt was in shambles. Mesopotamia was all uh, messed up and confused. And, and Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, nothing was going on there. There was no major powers anywhere in the world. And so Israel and Judah enjoyed really rapid, great, massive growth for about 200 years. But in about 7, 
25, 730 right in there, a new empire shows up. This, this kingdom starts to spread, and it starts to spread its influence, and it's, it's defeating this nation and that nation, and, it, and it's just growing really rapidly. And the name of that kingdom is Assyria. And it, it's, it's in what would be modern-day Iraq. Okay, so things haven't really changed in terms of where trouble spots are and so forth. Modern-day Iraq, it's Assyria. They're starting to spread. And Israel, the northern kingdom, is concerned about this. They're looking at Assyria starting to spread, and they're like, you know, it won't be long until they're on our doorstep, and they want to defeat us as well. So they go to their immediate northern neighbor, Syria. Don't confuse the two, Syria and Assyria, two different kingdoms. And they say, let's, 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 form, a, let's form a pact. Let's form an alliance. And maybe our two armies together can stop Assyria from spreading. By ourselves, they're going to wipe us out. But if we, if we align with each other, everything will be good. And so Syria's like, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds reasonable. Let's do that. And so they come together, and they go down to Judah, whose king is Ahaz. And they say to Ahaz, we want you to be in our alliance too. The three of us together, man, that's going to be a formidable army. So, so let's all three get together. And Ahaz, for whatever reason, says no. I'm not interested. I don't want anything to do with this. Y'all do your stuff with Assyria. I'm fine where I'm at. I don't want to be a part of this at all. Now, you would think that'd be the end of it, right? But Israel and Syria look at each other and you say, you know what? We need that army. We need those people. And so what we're going to do is we're going to attack Judah. Okay. We're going to get our two armies together, and we're going to attack Judah. And our plan is to go in, defeat Judah, replace Ahaz as king, get a king on there that's likes us, that, that wants to ally with us, and then all three of us can then face Assyria. So that's their plan. Okay, we're, we're, going to, we're going to wipe out this nation to our south, Judah, so that we can then fight all together against this nation to the north, Assyria. And so they start to march on Judah. And Ahaz is like, what's going on here? I said I didn't want to have anything to do with this. This is crazy. Why, why is this happening? And he goes to Isaiah and says, what do I do? What do I do, prophet? Tell me what to do. And so Isaiah goes to him and he says, don't worry about it. God's got you. God's got you covered. Okay? These two kingdoms, Israel and uh, Syria, they're not going to be able to take take over. They're not going to be able to, they're not going to win this battle. You'll be all right. Just trust God. And Ahaz says, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. I probably ought to make some plans on my own. You know, trusting God's one thing, but I, I probably ought to make some plans on my own. And so what he does is he sends word to Assyria saying, I was on your side. I didn't want any, in any of this, and now I'm being attacked. Can you come help me? And Assyria says, sure, but you're going to be our slaves if we do. And Ahaz like, okay. And this is called, this is what's called the Syro-Informatic Conflict. Okay. Now, why does any of this matter? Because that's the heart of what's going on here in Isaiah chapter 7. Okay, Ahaz is in that place of indecision of what to do. Israel and Syria are attacking. 
Isaiah has said, trust God. And Ahaz said, I don't know. I, I need to think through this. And so Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, listen, this is what God wants you to know about this circumstance. And that's where we pick up in verse 10. It says, again, so this is the second time God's addressed this issue. The Lord said to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord, your God, let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And so what, what's going on here is Isaiah comes to Ahaz and he says, okay, I understand you have some questions as to what you're supposed to do here and you're, you're worried about these two kingdoms. Here's what God's willing to offer you. Here's a blank check. Okay, Ask anything at all in the entire world, anything your imagination can come up with, as high as heaven, as deep as shale, whatever you come up with as a sign that God is really going to deliver you from these two kingdoms, ask for that, and God will give it to you. Now, that's quite a promise. I mean, for God to write you a blank check, that does not happen very often. Okay, But it's happened here. God wants Ahaz to truly understand, to know, that these two kingdoms come against him will not be able to defeat him. Just trust in God. So whatever you ask, whatever you want, you ask for it, I'll give it to you. And Ahaz's response is, I don't want to trust or try the Lord. Now, why does he say that? It sounds pretty pious. You know, you know I, don't, I don't want to put God to the test, but it's not piety at all. It's fear. Because he knows that if he asks for this sign and God gives it, then he has to act on it. Okay? And he's like, I don't want to be held accountable for those sorts of things. So I'm just going to pass on this whole sign thing. You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to give it to me. You don't, you, please just don't. And, and we know that there wasn't piety behind the answer, behind the statement, because of how God responds. Hear then, O house of David, house of David representing the, the throne, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? In other words, Isaiah says, you're already wearing me out. You're already, okay, you're already making me depressed and angry and frustrated. Now you want to do it to God too? Really? Is, is that your plan? Is, is this really the, the way you want to go? That the prophet's not enough to frustrate. I'm going to frustrate God too, is what God says there through Isaiah. And he says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, what God says is, since you're not going to ask for a sign, I'm going to give you one. I'm going to bring something into your presence. I'm going to show you something that will be a sign to you that God's with you. Now, that's very important because that lets us know that the first concern of this prophecy is Ahaz and his court. God's first concern here, God's first focus here, is giving a sign to Ahaz. It has to be something Ahaz himself can see, something Ahaz himself can respond to. And so this is where we pick up, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. Okay? So before this, a child's going to be born, and before this child is old enough to make decisions for themselves, the two kingdoms, Israel and Syria, that are attacking you, they'll be gone. 
They'll be wiped out. Okay, that's his promise. Okay. Um, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the days that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. Okay. So God here responds, and he says, okay, I'm going to give you a sign. Now the way Isaiah phrases this sign is amazing. Okay. And, and it, it, there's really no way to, to appropriately translate it into English so that you understand that, that God really has two fulfillments in mind here. He has two things in mind. He has One, he has a fulfillment right there in front of Isaiah and Ahaz and all of those. There's somebody right there who's going to have a baby. The baby's going to be a boy. And the boy is, before the boy's old enough to, to make decisions for themselves, the conflict that Ahaz is worried about is going to be over. That's the first. But there's also what? There's this messianic touch to it that's looking to the distant future. Now, how do we know that it's not just Ahaz's time? How do we know that that's not just our wishful thinking that, that this also applies to Jesus' future? Well, the whole segment here in Isaiah, Isaiah 7 through 12, is called the Book of Emmanuel. And you can't just read Isaiah 7. You have to read chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12 to understand the entire message. It's a long sermon that Isaiah gives to Ahaz here. Okay, It's not just this one exchange. It's a long sermon. And what you see as those chapters begin to unfold is that Isaiah moves from dealing with his present situation to somebody who's coming who's in the distance. Somebody who's extraordinary. Somebody who's who's bigger than any situation they're they're dealing with now. And this is expressed for us in Isaiah nine chapter six, where which is another passage we often hear quoted Christmas time. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, that's not somebody that is going to be right there in their existence. That's somebody extra special. That's somebody bigger than anything that could have happened in their time. And so what Isaiah has done is as he's preached, he started talking about their situation, and he's talked about the sign that's going to happen there. But as he, he as God reveals more and as God relates more, Isaiah begins to see something bigger is coming, something beyond anything that can respond here and now is going to happen, something amazing, significant. One's coming who is the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, bigger than any king that has ever been. Okay? And so, as we read Isaiah 7, we need to keep in mind both the immediate context and the future context, but because they're intertwined. They're connected. Okay? And what do we see here about this child? Okay? Well, the child is going to be born in their original context, what does he tell us about it? Okay. Going to be a son. He's going to be a sign, what? That God is with him. He's going to, he's going to be a, a proclamation that, that God has not abandoned Judah, that God is in fact going to deliver Judah, that before he's old enough to know right from wrong, to make his own decisions, this whole conflict's going to be over. But he also says what about him? He'll eat curds and honey. What's that mean? Well, that means this child is going to 
just have the basics. Okay? Just the basics. Just the, the basic staples. Curds and honey is not, we might think of it as something real good and delicious and a treat nowadays, but back then, that was just what you had to get by in their economy, in their environment. Okay? So in other words, what God says to Ahaz here is, I'm going to send you a child. And this child, before he's done, the conflict you're worried about is going to be over. And that's how you're going to know I'm with you. Okay, that's why we're going to name him Emmanuel. He's going to be God with us. Okay, but there's consequences to your lack of trust. There's consequences to the fact that you tried me, that you tested my patience. There, there, there's difficulties that are on the that are going to occur because you failed to trust me the way you were supposed to trust me. And the difficulties are going to be evident by what this boy is going to have to eat. Instead of him having the royal meals, the, the great meats, and all those other things that you normally think of as a king's feast. Okay, Today when we say, well, we're going to have a king's feast today, we're talking about what? It's, it's everything. Everything's going to be on the table. Okay, Instead of that, this child's all they're going to have to eat is some milk curds, cottage cheese essentially, and honey. Okay, That's it. That's what's going to sustain them. That's what's going to get them through. Okay. And so you see in this expression this, this tension between God saying, I'm with you, and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to deliver you. But because of your faithful, faithlessness, there's also some consequences to be had. There's also some difficulties that you're going to face. And the kingdom that you rule over Ahaz, it's going to begin to deteriorate. It's going to begin to fall apart. And it's going to be of such a nature and such a, an essence in the years ahead that it's not going to have the power, the glory. When people think of Judah, they won't think of Solomon anymore. They'll think of Ahaz and the, the difficulty he brought on this kingdom. And so you see that relationship there. That's the, that's the prophecy that God says to, is to, to Ahaz at this point. How does that then relate to Jesus? Well, we need to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment. He's the fullness of the prophecies, the promises of the Old Testament. And, and let me just say, I prefer myself to refer to them as Old Testament promises, not Old Testament prophecies. And the reason is not that they're not prophecies. They are prophecies. But because I think prophecy is too little a word. When we say prophecy, we think foretold, carried out. But a promise is something bigger. A promise is relational. A promise is an expression of, of connection. It's a, pro, it's a statement of trust. A prophecy, you can say, well, it might happen, might not. But if you make a promise, there's a commitment there. I mean, just think of it in terms of your exchanges with your children or grandchildren. You say, um, we're going to go get some ice cream this afternoon. Okay? And your child looks up at you and says, promise? Okay. Now, why do they say promise? Because they know that there's a commitment in that. There's a, there's a relational commitment. The fact that you're my parent or my grandparent, and you made this promise, I know you're going to try and carry that out. Okay. Your, your statement, we're going to go get some ice cream, that's a prophecy. 
But the moment you say it's promise as well, it's bigger. It now carries more weight. It's now something they're walking around saying, we're going to get some ice cream. Okay? They're excited about that reality now. Okay? And so to, to understand that and to see that is to, is to see what God's doing here. He's not just making these prophecies. He's not just telling the future. Of course God could tell a future. He's timeless. He's making a promise. He's making a promise to those people, and he's making a bigger promise than that. Because he knows, I'm going to send my son. 700 years from now, from this prophecy, I'm going to send my son. And he's going to dwell among them. And what I'm saying about this situation also has direct implications for that situation. And But it's going to be bigger. It's going to be broader. I'm going to throw in some stuff that's unexpected. So for instance, the virgin shall conceive. When Isaiah said that, he didn't have in mind a virgin conception. He had in mind a woman who is currently a virgin is going to have a baby by natural means. The miracle for Isaiah in their setting was the timing of the child. Okay, That this child's going to be born, and before he's old enough, this is all going to be over. But he uses the word virgin here in the Old Testament to what? As God, the Holy Spirit, instructed him to say, I want you to say it just this way. Because when Jesus came 700 years later, he was literally born of a virgin. He was conceived without an earthly father. Okay, And so this is, this is how... God works in terms of the language and the words that are used here. The original intent, the original focus for his audience wasn't a miraculous virgin birth. But when Jesus comes, he says, I'm going to throw in something you didn't expect here. I'm going to throw in, not just a virgin who conceived by normal means. This woman, who is a virgin, is actually going to conceive while still being a virgin. Okay? I'm going to mix in a little bit something more than what you saw, what you expected, what you anticipated. Why? Because I want you to understand that we're going to name this child Emmanuel as well, but he's not just a sign that God's with us. He is literally God with us. And so those two things are connected. This virgin conceives, Mary conceives, okay, um, which is an expression of what? The fact that God himself is truly with us. You see, God takes the prophecy. He takes the promises, and he's, he's throwing in a little bit extra. He's throwing in some stuff that, that's kind of unexpected, some stuff that, that, that comes uh, out of the blue. He also talks about how this child, as, as this unfolds, this child is one who's going to deliver the people. This child is, is one who's going to to bring a renewal to Israel, a, a renewal to the situation. But not just Israel, all the people. Through his life, through his experience, he is the Prince of Peace. He's the Wonderful Counselor. He's the Eternal Father. Okay? He's bigger than these things. He's going to do something extraordinary. But it's not just the good parts that are a part of the promise. It's also the bad parts. Because Ahaz's sin had what? Had resulted in God saying the throne is going to be vacated. 
the throne is going to be emptied, and it's going and the king's feast will be no more. It'll be poverty for these people in the future. And when Jesus came, this one who is Emmanuel, this one who is who is the very it's very it's God Himself dwelling among us. He didn't come to a throne. He didn't come to a palace. He came to a manger. Why did he have to come to a manger? Because that's just as much a part of the promise that God made to Ahaz as the fact that he would be God with us, that he'd be virgin born. It's all intertwined. It's all interrelated. And and the, the connection there should help us in our relationships and in our reality. Okay, because as we think about these promises and as we think about how they relate to the manger and Christmas and all those things, we should, number one, recognize that the relationship we have, the promise we have is an expression of relationship and trust. We sang just a, a little while ago, Glorious Day, which is a, a song that's reflecting upon Christ's return. When the trumpet will sound, and the angel will shout, and Christ himself will descend in power and authority to reign forevermore. How do we have any confidence in that promise? How do we have any hope in what God has said there that that's going to happen? Because we see in the promise he made through Isaiah, 700 years he fulfilled, and not only did he fulfill it, he fulfilled it much bigger than they could have imagined. And and when I stop to think about that and how it pertains to the second coming, I think, you know what? We have all of these views of what the second coming is going to be like. We have all of these images of what it's going to be like when Christ returns. And I want to say we have no idea how awesome that's going to be. We have no concept of how big it's going to be. The, the biggest, greatest imagination uh, that we have and, and the images that we draw and the pictures that we create and all of these things that we're able to come up with, they pale in comparison to what the reality will actually be like. And I can stand here in confidence and say that it's going to happen and it's going to be like that. Why? Because that's exactly what happened in the promise of Jesus between Isaiah and his actual coming. The two are intertwined. Also, we understand from this passage, from this promise, that God shares in the hurt that we cause by our lack of trust. He participates in it. Now, I can't think about that. Because my tendency when someone messes up in my life, whether it's a friend or a student or a child or whatever, my tendency is to say, you made your bed, you can lay in it. Okay? Okay, you, you made the mistake, you got to live with the consequences. And that's you, and I'll be over here enjoying my life because I didn't make that mistake like you did. That's my tendency. Okay? But God says, you made a mistake here. You didn't trust me. You didn't have confidence in me. You know what? Yes, there's consequences for that. But I'm going to walk through those consequences with you. I'm going to participate in those consequences with you. I'm going to send my son to be born in a manger, in a food trough, 
instead of in a palace because I love you that much. Your sin, I'm going to take the blame for it by sending my son to die on the cross. That's incredible love. To, to think about the, 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 all that God does here. He says to Ahaz, yeah, the throne of David's going to suffer because of this. You know what? My son who sits on that throne, he's going to suffer right along with the rest of the throne of David. That's the God we have. So as we deal with our hardships and our difficulties, as we deal with, with COVID and, and the uncertainties of the future and leadership in our country and all these other things that so often cloud our mind and all that, know that God is still with us. And He's going through all of that with us. He is encouraging us. And also know that God can take that which is vacant and powerless and make it something wonderful. He can take the ashes of our sin and make it something beautiful. And He does over and over and over again. We've spent, um, this will be our second Christmas together. Me as your pastor. I came in January. So this is our second Christmas. Um, and you've heard me say already several times about how we we have sometimes sanitized the manger scene. We've, we've cleaned it up. We've made it a much more pleasant reality. And I think that's true. I think we, we lose something when we lose sight of how costly sin was in terms of what Christ came to do. But as I was working on the sermon this week, God spoke a word of correction to me about that viewpoint. And that's simply this. The reason that Christmas is about joy and peace and happiness, and we sing all of these really happy, cheerful songs, and we quote sometimes sanitize the manger and all that, is because God has taken that shameful, sinful reality that was created by our sin and he has made it something glorious, something joyful, something wonderful, something that we sing praise to God for what he's done. Yes, the manger is a messy situation. But God cleaned it up. And he continues to clean it up. And he continues to grant us joy and peace. As we sing joy to the world, which by the way, in case you didn't know, that's actually about the second coming. The song joy to the world is not about his initial coming. It's about the second coming. As we sing that and reflect upon that, joy to the world, the king has come. How are we so able to have that joy? Because the baby that was born in that manger is the king who will return one day. He's the one who has changed our darkness to light. Who's changed our rebellion into adoption. Who has made us his own. And has implanted in us a heart that can have joy. Even when the world seems to be falling apart. And So as we celebrate Christmas. And we think about God with us. We think about the manger. We think about the fact that Jesus went through all of the humanness of this life. 
but we think of the fact that he came to do that because he goes through with us, not just through the good times, not even just through the bad times, but he goes with us through our sinful times as well to bring transformation and hope and joy beyond our comprehension. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace that we have the opportunity to be called sons and daughters. Because even though we were in rebellion, you sent your son to die for us. Even though we were continually saying no, you were saying yes. God, we pray that if there's anyone here who's not responded to that offer with their own yes, with their own submission to a king who loves them more than they could possibly ever imagine, God, I pray that you would lay that on their hearts this morning, the opportunity to be at peace with the Lord of all creation. God, help us to see the value of that. Help us to commit to that. Help us to walk in that, and Lord, help us to share that with a world that so desperately needs to know of the hope that you offer. We praise you and we thank you. In Christ's name I pray.